the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. It's a system that the United States has used for centuries to ensure that those accused of crimes show up to court. But has it outlived its usefulness? Coming up on Detroit Today, we'll take a look at the history of cash bail in our country with Insha Rahman of the Vera Institute. Then, the 36th District Court for the City of Detroit has announced reforms to its bail system. We'll discuss the changes with the court's chief judge, William McConico. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. To start off today's show, I actually want to start with a story. Before becoming a radio host, I spent time as a public defender. And let me tell you that I specifically remember, in relation to today's topic, a situation I had with a defendant who was charged with a crime that had no criminal record in his past. But he was in jail because he could not afford his bail. When I initially spoke to him, he told me that he was innocent, and so I began doing everything that we do to prepare for his defense. However, at the next hearing, uh, we obtained a negotiated settlement offer that if he just pled to the charge, he would get out with time served. Meaning, if he pled at our next hearing, he would go free. He'd be out of jail. He wouldn't have to worry about any more time in. My thought was to reject the deal because if he's innocent, I don't want him to have a record and uh, for anything that he did not do. But facing the prospect of more time in jail with bail that he couldn't afford and likely would not have been reduced, he changed his tune and he told me that he just wanted to go home. Cash bail is the system our courts use to ensure that those charged with crimes appear for their court appearances. In its simplest form, the court can, if it chooses, require that a defendant provide money to the court as a guarantee that they will show up. Once the proceeding is over, in theory, you get your money back. But what happens when you can't afford the bail? In a country that disproportionately disproportionately locks up its own people at any given time, more than 400,000 people are detained before their trial, according to the Prison Policy Initiative. This means that many of those folks are being detained not because of their guilty sentence, but because they can't afford bail. Michigan's 36th District Court recently voted to limit the use of cash bail. This comes after an agreement following an ACLU lawsuit and after one county in Michigan, Washtenaw County, completely ended cash bail. We're going to talk about the decisions in the 36th District Court later in the hour, but first we want to fully understand cash bail. Why do we have it? What does it offer us? Why did it come to the United States, and is it just? Here to unpack uh, the roots of cash bail, where it stands in our country, and its impact on our communities, I'm joined by Insho Rahman, Vice President of Advocacy and Partnerships at the Vera Institute a national research nonprofit pushing to reform the criminal justice system. Insha, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. Thanks for being here. You actually also have experience, I believe, as a public defender, so you're intimately and acutely aware of the, the process of cash bail. Can you tell, or tell us or just explain to people what cash bail is before we even get started? Absolutely. And Nick, the story that you started with of representing somebody who... Um, you know, likely was innocent of the charges against them, but ended up taking a guilty plea simply because insisting on their innocence would keep them in jail longer. That's a story that we see play out in courtrooms across this country each and every day, literally thousands and thousands of times over. And it's simply because we have a system of money bail that money, wealth, determines whether somebody gets to go home to their families, to their communities, back to their jobs. And fight their case um, from the outside versus sitting inside a jail cell. And so what is money bail? Um, 
originally, and this will be a little bit of a history lesson, so bear with me. I want the history. Go go, go with it. It's really important context to understand how did we get to where we are today. Exactly. So, you know, say 200 years ago, we had a similar bail system as the rest of the world in which money actually wasn't the main currency. Um, When somebody was arrested and accused of a crime, a local judge would say, okay, who can vouch for you that you will come back to court? And at that time, you'd have family members, loved ones come in. Chances are the judge knew you, knew your family, because uh, communities were small and, you know, people were known to each other back in that day and time. And so people would go home and come back to court and justice would be done that way. What changed in this country was the advent of the the start of the bail bond industry. And what the bail bond industry is, a private for-profit entity that you see on the main street of most, you know, uh, cities and towns in this country. And what the bail bond industry does is they actually put down a deposit, an amount of money to cover your bail amount if you can't afford the full amount yourself. And so the average bail amount in this country, which is on a felony case, roughly around $10,000, if you were to put all that money out yourself, you'd pay it to the court and come back to court, and, you know, if you made all your court dates, you'd get that money back. But the problem with that is most people don't have $10,000 to put down um, to secure their freedom. And so instead, what they end up doing is going to the bail bondsman, who puts down 10% with the court, um, and you give that money to them. You don't get it back, but 10% is easier, easier to afford than 100%. And then again, so long as you come back to court, that's it. But The bail bondsmen can actually ask for more money beyond that 10%, and they often do. They can sometimes decide, well, I don't want to bail you out and go back to the court and ask the court for their money back, and then suddenly you're back in jail. You have a lot less freedom to dictate what happens to you pretrial if you go through the bail bond industry versus pay the money bail yourself. And one thing that is really important for listeners to understand is this commercial private bail bond industry that turns a profit, it's a uniquely American phenomenon. So I started this little history lesson by saying we in the U.S. were the same as every other country 200 years ago where it was sort of a promise to come back to court, no money. Many places about 120, 150 years ago as sort of the great migration and the industrialization happened. Uh, Are you still with us, Insha? Uh, and we're back here on Detroit Today. We're going to work on getting uh, Ms. Rachman back on the phone. But right now, as we continue with the show, we are discussing cash bail. And it gives us an opportunity to really look into the history. As uh, Ms. Rahman was mentioning, uh, the issue that they're finding with cash bail is the, uh, the, the ability of the private bail bond industry, she mentioned, uh, to uh, obtain money from the defendants. It does lead me to some questions still, however. There are people who would tell you that uh, the cash bail system is a very effective way at ensuring that people do show up to their uh, court appearances. And there is a risk that if you don't have a system in place to ensure that people will just walk free. And then what do the concerns uh, arise after that point in time? You have concerns with uh, the safety of the community. You have the concerns of justice. And these are concerns that uh, people who are pushing back against the idea that we could just uh, have a, a system where we didn't institute bail and let people out on their own recognizance, it could be a little bit of a danger. Uh, so we do want to dive into those ideas. What are the positives and negatives? What are some of the issues? Uh, here to continue with the conversation, and you can just take us from where you left off, I'm joined again by Insha Rahman of the Bear Institute. Welcome back. Thank you, Nick. And not sure what happened, but my apologies. It's um, a, go ahead. And what I heard you uh, talking about was the, the concerns about public safety. Will right. bail reform and eliminating or reducing the use of cash bail make us less safe? Um, It's such an important question because there is no dollar amount we can put on safety. Everyone deserves to feel safe. And what we've seen about eliminating money bail is that it actually makes our community safer because judges are then looking at someone's risk to public safety, not the amount of money they have in their pocket to make a determination of somebody, should somebody be released or should somebody stay in jail pre-trial. 
uh, you know, as they're facing charges. And we have lots of examples from around the country and from within uh, Michigan of reducing the use of money bail or eliminating it entirely and actually seeing that crime doesn't go up, um, public safety isn't compromised, and fundamentally the system is more just and more fair and also uh, to the extent that the dollar, the sort of, you know, taxpayer dollars matter, counties are spending less uh, on the criminal legal system because there are fewer people behind bars, because we're not just processing everybody and setting a money bail amount that most people can't afford. So let me give you an example, because I think folks are like, wait, there's fewer people behind bars and yet we're safer? How does that work? Please do. Yeah, so let me give you a concrete example of where we've seen this year after year. So New Jersey statewide reformed its bail system back in 2014 and in 2017 eliminated the use of money bail pretty much entirely. So similar to what uh, is happening in Washtenaw County, what the Wayne County settlement is trying to do. And in reducing and eliminating the use of money bail, what New Jersey moved to was a system where public safety determines whether somebody's released or stays in jail. And so judges release the vast majority of people arrested and accused of a crime in New Jersey. And what we've seen is that people come back to court, their court appearance rates are upwards of 90%, which is very high, um, and people actually don't get rearrested, even though there's no money bail involved, at any rates higher than when we had a money bail system in New Jersey. And more importantly, here's what we're seeing than just court appearance rates and you know rearrest rates during the pretrial period. What we're also seeing is the jail population in New Jersey declined by almost 50% in that time in the past five years, and violent crime went down by 10% as well. So New Jersey is a great story of what you can do when you actually put public safety, not wealth first, in your criminal legal system. It's interesting that you say not put wealth first in your uh, criminal justice system. I mean, I think people on the courts would say, well, hold on, with our cash bail system, uh, you get the money back, uh, absent costs and fees, uh, if you come back, the issue then would be the bail bonds per people, right? They're instituting or uh, making a profit on it. Aren't there alternatives that we could use, perhaps reducing the amounts that we charge for bail to back to that kind of 10% level or making more determination based on people's abilities to pay or even maybe looking at other forms of collateral? Uh, have you looked at any of those alternative ideas rather than just eradicating bail? Yeah. yeah. So here's what we've learned from New Jersey, Washington, D.C., a number of other places that have eliminated bail, which is you actually get as good results for public safety rather than just reducing the use of bail or determining somebody's ability to pay. Look, Nick, the average American, and I'm sure this will resonate for listeners, they don't have much money in their pockets to cover an emergency like being forced to pay bail for yourself or for a loved one. The Federal Reserve found that over 40% of Americans couldn't afford a $400 emergency. And like I said before, the average bail amount on a felony case in this country is $10,000. And so even if you were to put down 10%, that's uh, you know more than 40% of Americans can afford. So this idea of just making bail more affordable, while it sounds good and it sounds like, okay, it keeps the system that we currently recognize, it's actually still out of reach for most people. And importantly, what we've seen from the numbers is if you take out money bail and you put in place alternatives, like simple things like court reminders, letting people know, hey, you have court coming up in two days, or assisting with supervision and services. So if the problem is not that somebody is a danger to the community, but they have an untreated mental illness or a substance use problem. If you provide services and supports during the pretrial period while they're out in the community, while they're home with their families or uh, you know, with their loved ones, that's actually the better investment in public safety than making somebody put down a dollar amount. Money just doesn't keep us safe, no matter whether that's a big amount or a small amount. We're speaking with Insho Rahman, Vice President of Advocacy and Partnerships at the Vera Institute. We're talking about cash bail, and we're going to move to your calls momentarily. But before I do that, a couple of more questions for you from me. 
Um, you've mentioned the positive outcomes. Other things that I've seen and read are uh, when people are out on their own recognizance, they have better uh, outcomes in terms of their own court cases and ability to defend themselves in their cases. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you also mentioned other benefits. Uh, and you did mention that overall violence uh, or you saw crime go down. However, I do want to make sure we, we touch on this really specific point of the the recidivist individual, right? The individual who has a history with the criminal justice system is accused of a violent crime. Uh, maybe there's a, 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 a no contact order in place or someone, someone who has done something in the past and we can take a look at their history and say, you know what, there might be a higher likelihood that they could do something while out, maybe revenge or what have you. What would you say for people who are concerned about that individual? How does your plan of, uh, work for that type of individual? Yeah, Nick, I think the really important point is that eliminating cash bail doesn't mean we are eliminating accountability and keeping our community safe. And so in the case that you just described where somebody has a documented history of violence um, and is convicted of uh, crimes that show that there is a propensity towards violence, um, if they are accused in the, the facts in front of them of also being a potential danger to another person, those are all factors that a judge can and will look at. So the Eliminating money bail doesn't change the sort of importance of that individualized determination of whether somebody is a risk to the community or to a person if released versus whether they can be safe in the community. But the important thing is that what we've seen from research and evidence and certainly my experience as a public defender, perhaps yours as well, is that the vast majority of people who are arrested and facing charges in this country are facing nonviolent, low-level charges such as for drug possession or driving with a suspended license yeah, or yeah. some other offense where there is no concern about public safety. Mm -hmm. And so we have to remember that that's the vast majority of cases coming through the criminal legal system, and we cannot treat each case the same as if every case is the very scary one that you just described. That's actually the tiny minority of cases that come through the system. And so by eliminating cash bail and actually moving to a system where we're doing a better job of sorting out the nonviolent, low-level cases where we don't have concerns about public safety and, you know, taking care of those cases quickly so that people are out, they return home to their families, they get back to their jobs, and then we really focus our resources on the more serious cases. That's all that sort of is in the courtroom, not the dozens of other cases on any given day that clutter up the court calendar, we're actually doing a better job overall with determining public safety. So I think that point is a really important one, that you actually do better for public safety if you treat cases with the level of seriousness that they require. Right now, with a money bail system, you're treating every case the same based on money, not on public safety. We're speaking with Insha Rahman of the Vera Institute, talking about cash bail here on 101.9 WDET and Detroit Today. And I want to hear from you. What do you think of our cash bail system? Do you think it's just? Are you concerned that the public is less safe if we were to completely get rid of bail? And uh, have you or your loved ones ever been jailed or on bail that you couldn't afford? And what was that experience like for you? Or perhaps you're a bail bondsman listening right now. Uh, what is your perspective on the cash bail system? What do you make of our criminal justice system in relation to money bail? Give us a call, 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019, and we can get you involved in the conversation just like we're doing right now with Janae in Gross Point Farms. Janae, you're up on Detroit Today. Hi, it's, it's Janae, but... Oh, um, thank you. Thank you, Janae. Go ahead. Yes. So um, back in 2017, a loved one was arrested, and when we went to his hearing, the judge uh, demanded a $600,000 um, bail oh, wow. for him. Yes, and to be completely transparent, there there was no way we could pay for that. We, were, you know, we're not like a middle, like lower income family, and so. Um, when that happened, we did have to seek out 
um, help from a bail bondsman in the area, and we had to any up a percentage of that money, and they had to put a lien on our home, mm-hmm. and uh, and we still had to like collect uh, almost ten thousand dollars as a deposit. And then they still put a lien on our home, and there was a lien on our car. It was, it was a nightmare, and it took forever for us to get to a point where we could pay that off. And to make things worse, um, that person was still remanded right. oh. a couple of weeks later. Yes, the judge revoked um, the bail. And we still were uh, liable, though. Right. Uh, the lien wasn't removed because she revoked the bail. Right. Um, but very quickly, we worked- and, and I appreciate the story because it does put a face, and I think people don't have as much uh, familiarity with the system. What was the charge, if you can say? Uh, the charge was a drug-related, okay. um, like drug possession or something like that. It was a nonviolent crime. Um, it was a twenty-year-old case. Um, and it was very difficult. And then the other thing too, um, we felt put in a position to have to do that because the person we were trying to post bail for had significant health issues. Right. So that was the pressure on us to do it, um, to make sure that they, nothing bad happened to them while they were in there. Because to be honest, like the conditions. Right. And these facilities are subpar. Yeah. So you have that, and then you have the poverty yeah. aspect. It just was a nightmare. Yeah, Sinead, that was very, uh, I really appreciate your call and telling that story because I think what some people fail to see, unless you're, again, operating it all the time, is all of these cases are very different. And a lot of times with ju- uh, courts trying to be more efficient, they can just kind of end up trying to make them or just kind of all make them the same. Um, uh, do you have a comment or follow-up to that caller, uh, Insha, that you can uh, give us about your perspective from her story? Well, I'm so glad Sinead called in because she made exactly the point I was talking about with the bail bond industry, which is their primary job is to turn a profit because that's their livelihood, much in the way that being a criminal justice, you know, uh, researcher and expert is my livelihood. So I don't fault them, but it's the wrong solution for a system that we need to deliver public safety. And there is an alternative. In Sinead's, uh case, what if instead of setting a $600,000 bail that this family clearly couldn't afford, the judge actually considered something like pretrial services, which is supervision to monitor the person to make sure that they show up to court make sure that they stay safe in the community if there was in fact you know a drug case if there were concerns about this person's um, substance use uh, treatment for that there's any number of options that actually would have secured public safety saved this family from the terrible terrible circumstances of having to pay off debts on their house and home and ten thousand dollars even on top of that And at the end of the day, sort of for what? It's really because we allow for a private bail bond industry to turn a profit as opposed to consider public safety and what's best for this individual accused of a crime and what's best for the community. So it's a a perfect example of what's wrong with the current system and how the money bail system doesn't actually deliver justice or safety. We'll continue with your calls here on Detroit Today, 1019 WDET. What are your thoughts on our cash bail system? Do you think it's just, and are you concerned that it takes its uh, uh, beneficial or it could have a negative impact on public safety? We'll return with more Detroit Today in just a moment. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening.
listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson as we discuss cash bail, which has been in the news with uh, 36th District Court's recent decision to modify their system. We're going to speak with the chief judge, William McConico, a little bit later on. But before we do that, I have open lines. What are your thoughts about cash bail? What questions do you have? It. I know it can be a bit of a topic that doesn't come up very often, but it's a really important one when we think about our criminal justice system right now. And you have a great opportunity to ask questions of someone who knows it very well. Give us a call, 313-577-1019, as we speak with Insha Rahman, Vice President of Advocacy and Partnerships at the Vera Institute. And uh, I have a question for you based off of what the last caller actually said and uh, what what your follow-up was. It's the idea of having supervision. I know for a lot of people, when they hear about, okay, maybe you use pretrial services now, uh, they start thinking of the taxpayer. They're saying, okay, well, hold on. Now, once we have a more robust pretrial services system, that means that's more money that's going to the taxpayer that's subsidizing this versus uh, when you have a cash bail system. In theory, the person putting up the cash, uh, that cash is uh, is now you're offloading, I should say, uh, their supervision onto the taxpayer as opposed to having it done by private industry or the individual be responsible for it. Yep. What would you say in response to people who are worried and concerned about rising tax costs related to your suggestion? No, and I think the sort of bottom line of like the dollar amount and taxpayer uh, sort of benefit is a really important part of this conversation. So um, many listeners know that budgets get made at the county level and the state level every single year. And in most counties across uh, Michigan, one of the biggest budget lines is actually the local county jail. Um, So across Michigan, uh, taxpayers pay close to half a billion dollars, a little bit less than $500 million each year just to keep the county jails going. And as I gave you the example of New Jersey earlier, the jail population there has dropped by one half because of bail reform. And that's savings to the county and it's savings to taxpayers. And to incarcerate somebody costs anywhere from upwards of 80 to $100 a day versus um, having that person be on state-funded pretrial supervision is pennies, dollars, uh, compared to what it costs to incarcerate them. So if all things being equal, it's just as good for public safety to have them back in the community than to have them in jail. There are better outcomes for the person. You mentioned uh, the outcomes of uh, being back in their communities, at their jobs, but also the legal outcome. So research has shown us time and time again that the same person facing the same charges with every other sort of, uh, you know, circumstance the same, if they are in jail versus back in the community while fighting their case, the person in jail is going to fare much worse. They're more likely to get convicted of a crime, and they're more likely to do jail or prison time than the person who is free. And the reason? Leverage. It's the story you told at the beginning um, that your client who was in jail because he couldn't afford his bail ended up taking a plea, even if he didn't do it, simply to go home. That's just what the, the system does. And so it's much cheaper to the taxpayer to have a system that is about pretrial supervision and the decision about release or detention is made on risk to public safety, not wealth. And it's just a more fair and just system. You know, listening to Shanae, you think, what would happen if I were in that situation, if somebody I loved was accused of a crime? Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that, that these are people, that this could happen to any one of us, and that we would want a system that works and delivers justice and safety for ourselves and our families, as well as thinking about this as a large abstract issue, which I think it often is for a lot of people. 313-577-1019 for you to get involved with the conversation. Where are you at? What are your thoughts on cash bail? Is it effective? Do you want to see the system reformed? Do you think that the that it has benefits that we have not discussed here? Do you have a question about how cash bail works in America and in Michigan. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. You know, Insha, you've basically mentioned kind of your policy position uh, today on the show, but I do want to give you an opportunity uh, before we let you go to tell us, you know, if you could wave the magic wand, if you could write the legislation and get it passed, what would your uh, bottom line policy be? 
that you think we should institute in relation to cash bail? So Michigan has an opportunity to waive that magic wand. There is pretrial legislation to greatly reduce the use of money bail pending in the state legislature. And Wayne County in this settlement is just showing us how, um, showing us the way and, and what Michigan should do for public safety and justice. And that's to release the vast majority of people pretrial because we know that that's good for public safety. It's good for taxpayer dollars. And where we continue to use money bail to really consider a person's ability to pay, but to do that as infrequently as humanly possible. And the only times we should do it is to shore up public safety. And then finally, anybody who is at risk of losing their freedom should be given the benefit of a lawyer, a full hearing with due process, none of which currently happens in the current cash bail system. So that's the magic wand, um, and with that would be fewer people behind bars, more safety in our communities, and a better services system of pretrial services and supports for people so that we can make sure people come back to court and stay safe while released. A system that works for everybody is what I'm hearing that you're trying to get instituted. One of the issues with cash bail, as you have mentioned, is because of the disproportionate access to funds, uh, it has a disproportionate impact on people who have less funds, typically found in black and brown communities. Therefore, it was impacting people uh, improperly, or I should say disproportionately. One of the reasons why it was certainly a concern, and 36th District Court is looking to make that modification, which we are going to discuss with the chief judge a little bit later on today. But right now, I want to go to Lori in Farmington Hills. Lori, thanks for calling. You're next on Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. This is a great program. Um, I have a question as to how we make a change in Michigan. Uh, Is that a policy change through the court system, or is that a legislative change that is required? That's an excellent point. Go ahead. Go ahead, Insha. Yeah, I was going to say, such a great question. So ideally, it would be a legislative change that impacts every part of Michigan equally. And so that would mean that all courts, no matter where you were arrested, whether that's in Detroit or Grand Rapids or, say, you know, up north, that you would get the same system of justice and that it wouldn't be money, but rather public safety that determines whether you get to go home. So that's the ideal. But if the legislature doesn't move in that direction, there are more lawsuits that uh, could happen or the state courts could also Um, intervene to issue what's known as court rules, which are basically court policy, directing judges to implement this system. But that's a a lesser uh, option. If I were to have my druthers, I would much prefer for the state to say, we care about all Michiganders and we care about all courts, no matter where you are in the state, that you get the same and equal treatment of justice. There is something to be said about when legislation comes from elected representatives, what that means and what judges look to in terms of their mandate to uh, follow laws and statutes versus uh, a court rule, as you mentioned before. Certainly you have to follow those, but uh, there's something to be said for when the uh, our elected representatives uh, say, this is what you're to do, court. Uh, judges listen up to that. So I yeah, think that is a very good law. point. Right. Yeah. Yep. And we have, I guess, time uh, if we, first of all, Lori, thank you so much for your call and for calling Detroit today with that really good question. Um, uh, We've got opportunity right now um, to really make an impact in this system. Uh, As you mentioned, nationwide with elections coming up right now, there are a couple of statutes that are in uh, the House of Representatives right now. Um, Insha, do you know anything about where we're at in Michigan, at least, with that legislation? Have you taken a look at any of those bills, and what do you think of them? Yes. Um, So the package of bills essentially does uh, three important things. The first is um, directs judges to release people facing certain low-level crimes where there is no concern about public safety. Um, It also requires judges to do a hearing um, for somebody where there is uh, some consideration of setting money bail or detaining them. And importantly, there will be a review process so that if somebody remains in jail because of a money bail amount that they can't afford, they have essentially like a a second bite at the apple um, to see, look, is this person actually a risk to public safety? Will they return to court? Is there some other alternative that is not money 
such as pretrial services, pretrial supervision that can be imposed. And so it's, you know, it really is the, um, the ideal that we were talking about. It's pending in the state legislature. There is a lot of support for it. But understandably, in this moment where every day in the news we are seeing stories about increasing gun violence, people are feeling less safe. And that's a, that's a real feeling. I think it's really chilled momentum for legislative bail reform. And so I really want listeners to take away um, that passing legislative bail reform will actually make us just as safe, if not safer. And it's a better investment in justice, which I know we all care about, too. We do all believe that, um, you know, the what happens to you if you're accused of a crime shouldn't be based on your wealth. So I really hope that things can move because everywhere that we have seen legislation pass, such as in New Jersey, it has been a net positive and we have five years of, you know, a, a demonstrated track record to say so. So it takes, I think, the courage of our convictions and a little bit of a leap of faith, but I'm really hopeful that Michigan can do so. That's uh, a very good point, right? Safety is uh, definitely being considered with your proposals. And for people who want to learn more about uh, what you're doing at the Vera Institute, more about cash bail and more information and facts that you have to support the uh, arguments and positions that you've placed today, how can they do that? How can they find out more information? Well, you can come visit our website. It's www.vera.org. Oh, my gosh. I've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. No, that's okay. That's okay. You got my name right. That's the part that matters more to me. Um, And I was going to say, if folks are interested in learning more about what's moving in Michigan, I know the ACLU of Michigan has um, some great fact sheets available about the Michigan bail reform legislative proposal, as do we. So, Check out this issue. Get in touch with us. And thanks so much for having me on the show, Nick. It's been great to have this conversation. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining us. Coming up next, still on Detroit Today, speaking of reforms that are happening, Detroit's largest court, one of the largest courts in America, has made, has determined that it will make changes to its cash bail system. What are they and what impact will it have on 36th District Court and you in our community? We'll talk to the Chief Judge, William McConaughey, next as Detroit Today continues on 1019 WDET. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. As noted earlier in the hour, the 36th District Court decided to limit cash bail. The decision comes as an agreement after the American Civil Civil Liberties Union of Michigan and another law firm filed a class action lawsuit against the district court, attempting to end cash bail because it, it discriminated against the poorest defendants who were unable to pay bond. At the time of the 2019 lawsuit, the ACLU claimed that over 60 percent of Wayne County pretrial detainees were there because they couldn't pay bond. Thus, the 36th District Court decided to minimize cash bail as part of a settlement to that lawsuit. But that leaves us with questions. What exactly has the court agreed to do? What impact will it have on litigants and the community at large? And are there other reforms the court is working on to create a fairer criminal justice system? Here to talk about this with us is the Chief Judge William McConaughey of the 36th District Court. Judge McConaughey, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Before we get started talking about the reform, uh, when it comes to courts, you got district courts, you got probate courts, civil courts, criminal courts. I think a lot of people aren't even sure what kind of jurisdiction or power the 36th district court has. So can you let people know uh, what is it tasked with doing and how far is its geographical reach? Um, I, I really appreciate that question. I, when I go in the community and when I teach some of my classes, people have no idea. <laughs> they just <laughs> right. think courts are courts. Right. And, no, I'll, I'll do this very briefly. 36th District Court is, one, the largest district court in the state of Michigan, one of the largest district courts in the United States. We handle all traffic and misdemeanor uh, offenses that occur in the city of Detroit, uh, all civil cases that arise that are $25,000 and below, all landlord-tenant matters that occur in the city of Detroit. Uh, we handle... Uh, 
uh, excuse me, uh, all felonies that are committed in the city of Detroit, uh, there is a uh, pretrial conference as well as the preliminary exam to see if there's probable cause for that matter to go to circuit court uh, at Frank Murphy Hall of Justice across the street. Uh, we also handle small claims cases, and we have a specialty court uh, where we do uh, have a drug court, a veterans court, and a mental health court. And just to uh, put a button on that, when we talk about misdemeanors, we're basically talking about crimes that uh, the maximum sentence is less than a year. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Most uh, most misdemeanors are 93-day misdemeanors, where the max is 93 days in jail and $500 fine. There are some one-year misdemeanors, but those are very few and far between. Very good. And as we've been talking about, one of the things that has happened is uh, Detroit has decided to limit cash bail. This follows a lawsuit that was filed by the ACLU, which we mentioned. Uh, what exactly is the agreement? Can you let us know what 36th District Court has decided to do in relation to cash bail? Well, the, 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 most, uh, the thing that is getting the least amount of attention uh, in the settlement or in our agreement is that we are providing counsel uh, for any uh, defendant that comes through the 36th District Court at every stage of, their, of the proceeding. So at, at an arraignment, at a pretrial conference, at a preliminary exam, uh, and there will always be an attorney. It will not. It was, it's, you're not going to wait to a later stage. There will be an attorney to argue uh, bail at the arraignment stage. There will be an attorney uh, if there's a need for a redetermination hearing, uh, 72 hours from the original arraignment. There will be an attorney at the probable cause conference a week later, and at the preliminary exam, there will be. A lawyer. There's already uh, a lawyer uh, provided for all traffic and misdemeanors. Now we're making sure it's that way at all stages of the felony arraignment process. Well, that is very important portion. Uh, a lot of times uh, with that arraignment, uh, you can have people who don't have any inter- interaction with uh, uh, an attorney at that point in time. But uh, what a lot of people are painting this as is it's uh, limiting or removing uh, cash bail as the primary option. Is that what's happening in this case? What is going yes, on with cash ab- bail? Absolutely. So when you're when we're dealing with, again, traffic and misdemeanor cases, 99 percent of those cases, there will not be a cash bail. Um, that be the, the study show it, it has no impact on safety it really doesn't even ensure a person comes back to court and the harm that we have when we're imposing cash bail on traffic and misdemeanor cases are horrific at the press conference we had last week we had testimony from people who went while they were in custody for a traffic offense or a misdemeanor lost housing lost custody of children uh, all kinds of just really draconian and unnecessary impacts so when it comes to traffic and misdemeanors, 99% of those cases will not have a cash bail. When it comes to a felony case, um, there the majority of those cases, cash bail will be eliminated also unless there is a finding by the magistrate or the judge that the defendant poses a risk to the, to the community or is a great flight risk. If those, um, uh, if there's a determination that either of those exist, a cash bail is, appro- uh, is appropriate, and uh, it has to, you have to put on the record why you're giving the cash bail, how you're coming up with this, and if there is an unaffordable cash bail, which is given at the arraignment stage, the defendant is entitled within 72 hours to have another judge or magistrate look at the matter and see whether that bond was appropriate. If that bond is continue again bail or slash bond is always uh you can always argue it at any stage but but for the most part we are eliminating cash bail in the city of detroit unless there is a great danger to society or flight risk which will be determined at a hearing and have an opportunity for each side to make their arguments related to that Correct. Uh, in reviewing uh, what you just said, you know, I was thinking about the Michigan court rules and already in the Michigan court rules, there are rules de- re- relating to pretrial release. I'm looking at specific language that says the defendant's employment status and history and financial history. And so far as these factors relate to the ability to post money bail is a consideration that was already listed in a statement on the re- of reasons for cash bail that should have been provided. Uh, and, and that is that is part of the court rule. However, we are going even further with with our settlement. Uh, that is just a consideration, but we are almost giving a rebuttable presumption um, that if you are at the two hundred percent poverty rate, that 
um, de facto bail is unaffordable. And so we are uh, we're going a little we're going further than what is the current court rule. That is why, um, you know, I heard you with your previous, uh, the previous um, guest, that is why there is a movement to have legislation to codify actually what we're doing in our settlement for this not just to be at the 36th District Court, but it can go statewide. Yeah, that's one of the things I was uh, checking, again, with the starting of that question. What I was kind of wondering was um, the guarantee that it will be implemented. Like, I trust that you say that's how the court's going to implement it. But are you doing this through a local court rule? Is this written into the federal lawsuit settlement? Like, where yes. is this agreement? Yeah, this, is, this is in the settlement. This, okay. is, this is, we are enforcing the settlement agreement that we've reached with the ACLU. And we have hired, as part of the settlement agreement, uh, we have a, what is called a community partner, which is Attorney Saul Green, which will act as a monitor of the agreement to make sure that the court is uh, living up to the agreement. This keeps us out of federal court. This is a way of bringing the parties back together. But the enforcement mechanism is through the community partner. And if the court does not live up to the settlement agreement, then we will be back in federal court and under the auspice of the federal uh, district court here in the Eastern District. Is there a hold date as to that when we're going to go back and revisit this and see how it's working, if it's effective? Uh, it's two to, two to five years. Um, where what we are looking, um, and again, you know, we've been in constant communication with, with the ACLU. Uh, we do not believe that this is going to, the agreement is going to have to, uh, with the community partner as an enforcement mechanism, we should have to go past the two-year mark. But it's there. It's there if, it's, you know, if there's some hiccups and it has to go three years or go four years, that is there. But this is no longer an adversarial um, process. This is something that the court is working with the bail project, with the ACLU, with the NACP National Legal Defense Fund, all to craft this program and work to implement it properly through training and through education. We're speaking to the chief judge for the 36th District Court, uh, William McConico, here on 1019 WDET, discussing cash bail and reforms that the 36th District Court has agreed to. It's a very interesting time in the court. If you go on the website, the court says that it is the people's court, which uh, I like that you have that lofty expectation of yourselves. That's great. But that also comes with it responsibility. And as a judge and all the judges there, you're elected officials. To the people that you represent, uh, what do you, I want to give you an opportunity to tell them. Some might be concerned about the safety of their communities also in this new system where there's going to be presumption to let someone free without a cash bail. What response do you have to them at those concerns about potential violent offenders and things like that? Um, I think uh, I was listening to uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder when he spoke at the court last Tuesday. And one thing that he, he, he spoke to was that people confuse a cash bond or cash bail with security. Right. And that's not the case. Uh, people make high cash bonds and still commit crimes. Mm -hmm. People have high cash bonds and they flee. Um, a cash bond is a cash bail. The purpose of it is to have a person return to court. It does not provide security. What we need to do is to make sure there's proper supervision. We need to make sure there are proper resources uh, to make sure a person is not violating. But a cash bail or a cash bond in and of itself does not provide security. Uh, you know, we, we've had an unfortunate situation, um, and there's been a lot of coverage concerning uh, a, a crime that happened in Harper Woods where a person was out on a cash bail uh, here in the city of Detroit. In, in that case, there was a $100,000 10% bond. Uh, that person's mother posted $10,000, and the person was released, and allegedly there was, there was, a, there was a crime committed. Um, and people, you know, if it was, you know, 500000 and it was posted, and the crime was committed, the tragedy still occurs. And we do not have a system where we have 100% incapacitation of people while they're awaiting trial. And that's the only way that you would have a, a system where uh, no one commit a crime while they're out on bail if we just lock everyone up until their case is, yeah. is, is, is mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we have in our Constitution. Uh, we have the Eighth Amendment. States, right. A person, a person um, at the founding of this country, 
country is entitled to a reasonable bail. I mean, it's the Eighth Amendment. Right. And we feel that we have enough safeguards. The judges and magistrates are going to take into account the safety of the community. So if a judge or a magistrate feels that a defendant is a threat, they and they just have to put on the record why they believe this person is there just has to be a record of it. They can still impose a cash bond. Um there the the discretion is still with the judge and the magistrate to impose one. But we are just saying that we are going uh to make sure we take all these other factors into account and especially with low level offenses. Uh, a person with driving while license suspended or without insurance or no proof of registration, they should not be in jail awaiting uh a sentence for the protection of the community. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Chief Judge, uh, no. I'm really glad that you spoke about the Harper Woods case. I know people had questions about that. So uh, thanks for offering your opinion and discussing how this would work in relation to that. I have time with you for at least one more question. I have on good authority to turn the page a little bit, Judge okay. McConico, <laughs> that you were high school classmates with one Stephen Henderson. That is incorrect. Oh. Stephen is older than I am. Okay. Stephen was Stephen was one of the big brothers of mine at uh, at the University of Detroit Jesuit High School. I'm sorry, I should have said you went to this. You were in school at the same time, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, which, indeed. Which which means that you know all the dirt on Stephen, and I, Stephen's not here right now. Oh yeah, you're and, talking and the year and the yearbook picture with the high top fade Ooh. and uh, the bad clothing and the real baggy clothes. I, I have all of that good juice. Are you telling me Stephen <laughs> Henderson had a life and didn't just come out of the room winning Pulitzers. No, and, no, he actually no, no. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he had the awkward stage yeah, and, okay. and the bad hair like the rest of us before he became, you know, an award-winning journalist. Well, Judge <laughs> McConico, I uh, give you the opportunity, uh, you know, if I ever do need to have a little bit of dirt on Stephen Henderson, you can, uh, you can just let me know. We can get you back on the show, hey, listen, all right? I'm the listen, producer you got, here. You, you got the number. All right, very good. <laughs> Judge McConico, in all seriousness, thank you for coming on the show and discussing what's happening in 36th District Court related to uh, cash bail. Again, thank you for having me, and great show. That's going to do it for us here on Detroit Today. It's 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. The show is produced by Sam Corey. The technical director is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you tomorrow when we discuss Macomb County elections. <laughs>